Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I'm just going to look at you for a second. I'll be all right. It's just great to see you. We had a great first service and were able to see uh, other members of this uh, body, and it was wonderful to be able to hear people singing. And um, we had one get up and just share uh, about how uh, someone had gotten saved um, during this time. And uh, just a tremendous time together. And um, so I just wanted to say it's great to see you. Great to be with you. And now we know a little bit more about why uh, the author of Hebrews talks so much about gathering together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because we miss times like this, don't we? When we're able to see see one another. We Certainly one of the lessons we've learned over the last nine weeks is we don't take that for granted. Um, the Lord has certainly blessed us and to be able to meet. And I think about the persecuted church around the world and, and how many people are uh, literally killed for their faith who uh, struggle to meet together. And so for us, uh, what a privilege it is to be able to get back together uh, this morning. You just watched a Memorial Day video, which Memorial Day is tomorrow, as you know. And um, I think it's important, I mentioned this first service, to distinguish between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. We recognize those who serve, and we do that on Veterans Day. And that's important to do. I think that's lost in our culture today. I just think it's lost. It's, it's not, it doesn't, certainly doesn't carry as much weight as it did when I was growing up. Um, but Memorial Day is a day where we remember those who literally gave their lives for the freedom that we have. And that's a much different ballgame. Um, I didn't tell you to tell the first service guys this story, but if they're watching again, for whatever reason, um, my mom's dad was in World War II as well as my dad's dad, but my mom's dad was actually on an island in the Pacific and um, long story short, uh, he was in a foxhole with three other guys, and the three other guys got cut down and died. And um, my grandfather survived the war, and, and I think it was around when he was about 90. He lived till he was 92. I'd taken my oldest son uh, with me, and we went and ate lunch uh, with him, and he had this place he went, and a steak sandwich and lemonade. That's all he ever got. And so Caleb's sitting there with me, and, and my grandfather's telling me the story. And he's just weeping as he's doing it. And he looked at me, and he said, Dad, why do you think the Lord had me survive? And, you know, sometimes you struggle with difficult questions. And I was like, Lord, you know, what do I say? And I just looked at him, and I said, well, I know two reasons that you're still here. And that you survived. And that was me and my son. And obviously the Lord used him over the years. But we remember uh, this weekend and tomorrow those people who literally gave their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. And um, I don't know that we can remember that enough. Um, Just like we could say we need to remember more and more the freedom we have in Christ and remember his death. And what he did for us. Uh, he w- who was sinless took on the sins of the world. And that's just a phenomenal thought uh, when you think about it. So just wanted to make mention of, of those things uh, this morning. 
I also wanted to um, just make a couple of brief uh, comments about some things coming up. On June the 7th at the 1045 service, so that it will be at this service, we will be recognizing our high school seniors. Certainly, uh, they've taken a big hit this year. And, uh, you know, we, we don't forget them. I, I know when you drive by some churches, they'll have even posted those uh, kids who've graduated. And um, so we don't want to forget those guys, and we're going to honor them on that Sunday on June the 7th. And so make sure that uh, if you can be here, uh, that'd be great. If not, hey, we're live streaming every service, and so uh, you'll be able to catch it either way. Uh, also, then on June 14th, we will be recognizing college graduates as well as those who have obtained postgraduate degrees. And, and we need your help with this because some of them we may know, but some we may not. I mean, you may have been getting a degree, and I have no idea about it. Uh, the ones that we do know, we want to recognize, and we want to put their picture up and kind of, you know, what they've been studying and, and such. So if you could just contact the church office or call the church office and, and, and leave your information with either uh, Shauna or Amanda, I'd really appreciate that because we want to have a PowerPoint presentation uh, for that Sunday. So those are the, the two announcements I needed to make uh, for all of us so that we understand kind of uh, moving forward. Uh, this morning, we want to begin our service with a reading scripture again. So I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to the to book of Philippians in chapter 2, and that's where we are for our reading this morning, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read God's Word uh, together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. All right. So we continue reading through this book of joy called Philippians. Paul writes, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to notice that he doesn't say work for it. You know, that's a very important distinct, distinction there because you know, there are a lot of people that are working for salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Our salvation is by grace, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing else. But we're involved in our salvation. And that's what Paul is talking about here as he discusses the area of sanctification. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some translations may have complaining. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Whew. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Well, how appropriate is even that for us today? We live in a crooked and perverse generation, but we appear as lights in the world. And as a light, we have answers, don't we, of, of why we can live uh, trusting the Lord. He says, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I 
rejoice. What an amazing response. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I hope we're grateful to be here today. I know that it's, it's great to see everyone. and um, We are living in challenging times, and yet your church goes on, and you're continuing to build your church. And um, we know, as the Scripture tells us, the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. We're thankful, Lord, that you are in control. And while we might not understand everything that goes on in this life, we can trust you because you're trustworthy. I pray that this morning, um, Lord, you'd be honored in what we say and what we do. That, um, Lord, you'd receive all the glory. Uh, None of the glory belongs to man. It belongs to you and you alone. And so I pray that our minds are here, that our hearts are here, those that are here in the service, and those who are still watching at home, we're thankful, Lord, that that we can all uh, be with one another, and we just want to worship you, and we want to do it in spirit and in truth, and we want to do it with the right heart and the right mind, one that's consecrated to you. And so I just thank you again for everyone who's able to be here Uh, with us this morning, and I pray all this in the name of Christ, amen. Amen, guys, good to see y'all this morning. We've been looking forward all week to being able to sing with you guys and hear you singing with us, and trust you're here ready to do that. We're going to be singing about the goodness of the Lord this morning, about his faithfulness. We thought we'd start off by just proclaiming that we're here to worshiping, so y'all sing with us.
my shepherd I lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows Surely your goodness and love will flow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. that I wake up until I lay my head I will see of the goodness of God all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so I've known you as a father, I've known you as 
Thank you, praise team, and certainly great to be back uh, together and be able to uh, see folks. The puppets were nice, and some of them were a true reflection of how some of our folks look, but it's always nice to have live, warm bodies in front of you, and um, so I really, really uh, am thankful today. I'm a thankful person that I was able to fellowship with uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ during the first service, and I'm thankful that we're able to meet together uh, this morning in second service, and um, we continue to pray for those that can't be with us for one reason or another, and we're glad they're able to join us uh, via live stream, and as I was telling the folks in first service, you know, a month before this all came out, a month to six weeks, we wouldn't have been able to do that. We did not have the capability to do that, so... So uh, aren't we thankful that the Lord has taken care of us during this time? And just as uh, we just sang, you know, he's faithful. And how many things can you recall in your life where you've been able to look back and go, wow, Lord, you were faithful in this and faithful in that. And it's because he is faithful. That's part of who he is. He's not going to change. And we just are so thankful for the faithfulness of the Lord. Well, these uh, last week and this week, um, I have this two-week series that I'm doing, and it could easily be a six- to eight-week series. And during this time, the Lord has just been revealing to me through His Word that no matter the crisis at hand, whether it's a family crisis, uh, whether it's something like COVID-19, in which people have viewpoints all over the map, right, Um, whether it's an illness, maybe uh, something that you just weren't expecting. And those interruptions happen in life. And the question becomes for us, how do we handle life situations? This isn't the first life situation that we've had to handle. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you're young. Um, But certainly, if you haven't had a life crisis to this point, Certainly, we can say this has interrupted our lives as we've known them. And so, what I did was I prayed about, hey, Lord, what do you want me to do in responding to this? And, um, and so, for seven or so weeks, there was, I mean, I was just, literally, the Lord was 
given me thoughts. And, and so it wasn't until last Sunday, and actually the week before that, where thoughts began to be developed in my mind on how the church should respond to just life in general. How does that look? Uh, no matter if we're going through the valley or we're on the mountain peak, how does that look? And so uh, there are six principles, live life principles, that I wanted to share with the body. And um, we looked at three of them last week. And I want to remind you of the ones that we looked at last week. I know you remember them. If I was to quiz you, you would say, I've got it down. Because I know last week you were watching with your Pop-Tarts and all that kind of thing. We don't have Pop-Tarts this week unless you brought your own. I like cinnamon. Just make a mental note of that in case you stop by the store sometimes. Cinnamon. I like the frosted really good. All right, so last week we started with live life confessing sin. Live life confessing sin. And uh, that's a challenge, is it not? It's a challenge, I think, in terms of being honest. Not looking at sin like and comparing it, you know, horizontally with, with other people, right? But looking at the scriptures and, and really... Um, being convinced that what God says about sin is the way I need to think. Uh, the way he defines sin is the way I need to think. And, and um, maybe if we spent more time in terms of evaluating our own lives. And uh, you know, I think we're really good about evaluating others. <laughs> I think we have that one down pretty pat. But in terms of evaluating our own lives, right, and, and confessing sin... And, and we don't need to be afraid of that. I think sometimes there's like this fear uh, that somehow God's going to reject me as one of his own. He's not going to do that. The word confess just simply means to agree with God that it's sin. And so all of us deal with that. And if you're like me, I deal with it on a daily basis. So I have to confess, Lord, this is sin and that's sin. And, and, and not do so in a flippant way, but really thinking about what, what caused that. What, what's the root of all that? And how did I get to that point? So that's a very important one uh, as we live life. The second one, we talked about live life serving the Lord and others. And that's in the right order. We serve the Lord and we serve others. And uh, that demands that we have a viewpoint to others. That demands that we have others on our minds. And so, you know, one of the, one of the wrestling matches that takes place with people when they come to a church building is who am I going to serve? Am I here to serve others, or do I come to church to a place because I want to be served, right? And so that's a battle, I think, that, that takes place in the, in the lives of people at times. And so we need to be clear that for us as believers, God's given us a clear roadmap that we are to live life serving him and serving others. And then we looked at last week, the third one, live life putting others before self. That's an easy one, isn't it? Live life putting others before self. That means giving preference to another person. Does not mean we don't think of ourselves. Paul's very clear in Philippians that we need to think of ourselves, but we don't think of ourselves first. We think of others first. And so if you just, just a real simple formula, I think of the Lord first, and then others, and then myself. And and that can kind of get out of order. Would we agree with that? That can kind of get out of order for us. And so we have to be very, very careful as we're living the Christian life to have that in mind. This morning, I want to give you three more. 
I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Peter in the third chapter for the first one. And here it is, live life sharing the gospel. This should not be foreign to us. You know, there are folks that have the gift of evangelism and they share very easily. Um, But for some of us, that's a difficult one. But it's not impossible. And um, the Lord led me to 1 Peter 3 uh, for a very specific person, a specific reason, because I believe he wants all of us to accept the responsibility that we have to defend and to share the gospel. And the context of 1 Peter 3 is quite amazing. You're probably all familiar with um, 1 Peter 3.15. And you've heard even this verse uh, recited. You've heard it taught. Uh, You maybe have gone through a Bible study and, and seen this verse before you, and you've considered the verse. But the question is, have you considered the context? Have you considered the context? Because the context puts uh, a heavy light. It sheds tremendous light on what Peter's saying here in 1 Peter 3. Look what it says beginning back in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Notice what it says. In this section, Peter is writing about the Christian life. And he's telling them how to live. This is how you need to live as godly people. And we come down to verse 13, and in the midst of that, he says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Wow, how many times do we need to read that and kind of digest that? I mean, remember, he is writing, 1 Peter, he's writing to suffering Christians Christians who were literally uh, suffering for the gospel, whose lives were on the line. And so Peter writes with a sense of urgency. And he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And then look at this next phrase. This comes from the book of Isaiah. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Whose intimidation? Those that were persecuting them. Now, so you read it now and you go, okay, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but. All right, so you're not to live in fear. You're not to live with this anxiety. But this is what he tells these suffering Christians. But set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts Always being ready. Now, that word being there is italicized. It doesn't appear in the original. It's there just simply for the reading. Always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, to, uh, for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Let me just make a few comments about this verse, and I think you'll really uh, hopefully appreciate it much more. So remember in the context, he's writing to suffering believers. He's writing to those folks whose life is on the line. And he gets to the point in verse 16 where he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And notice he says, Always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in them. That word defense there means to give a clear answer. That's the meaning of the term. 
So he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. It means to give a clear answer. If there's one thing that needs to be clarified and cleared up in our day, it is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means what? It's good news. What's the news? So we always... Uh, when we're sharing the gospel, when we're defending the gospel, we talk about the good news. We typically begin with the bad news. For all of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. Right? We start there, and we end up talking about the fact that Christ died for our sins. Right? 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried, and he was raised and that's where the hope is. He's raised according to the scriptures on the third day, right? That's what the Bible tells us. So in the context of the passage, the term defense means to give a clear answer. And you need to underscore this. No matter the circumstance you're in. No matter the circumstance you, you're in. So these guys were uh, suffering for the gospel. And so he's telling them, listen, as you're suffering for the gospel, give a clear answer to those that ask you. Give a clear answer. Notice he says, ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. Now, that word account there means a systematic breakdown. That's the idea of the term. A systematic breakdown. It's not this hodgepodge of information. It's a systematic breakdown. I'm breaking down the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who asks me to do that. I'm ready to give a defense. Um, I was thinking of an illustration for this, and, and you'll know that this is one that um, certainly I just thought of because it's not something I can do. When I was thinking about a systematic approach to something, I was thinking about putting together an engine. Have any of you guys ever put together an engine? I have not. Nor, if I saw the parts, would I be able to do that. You don't just throw the parts out in the room, hoping they're going to somehow magically come together. There's a process in place for that. That's the idea of this term. There's a process in place. There's a systematic breakdown of the gospel that we need to be ready to give to people who ask us. And by the way, might I say this? I didn't say this in first service. Don't leave out sin. Because when you think about what the Lord did for us that no one else could do. Man, it's great news. He died for our sins. He who was not guilty, he took all that on himself. And so he says, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account, a systematic breakdown for the hope that is in you. Now notice he doesn't say for a hope, but the hope. It's the hope. Well, who is the hope? Believers, who is the hope? The hope is Christ, right? The hope is Christ. You remember what Jesus told his disciples, I've been with you, I'm going to be in you. That's the hope that we have. Um, And so he says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense. Give a clear answer to everyone who asks you to give an account, a systematic breakdown for the hope that is in you. And then he, this is the amazing uh, part of this, the way he closes that verse. 
Now remember in the context, he's talking about giving a defense in the midst of suffering. So you have those people who are ridiculing you and who are tormenting you and and you're supposed to share with them the difference that Christ has made in your life. That's what he's telling them. But then he tells them the attitude with which they're to do that. And I read that and I'm like, what? Notice what he says. How how is that to be? He says, with gentleness and reverence. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if you're looking at it on the surface. He's talking about making, right, giving, giving people who are persecuting you, who are tormenting you. He's saying, share the hope with them, and you're to do this with gentleness and reverence. Say, what? That doesn't even make any sense. But while it might not make sense to us, that's what the call is for every believer. Every believer is to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in them. And they're to do it with gentleness and reverence. You ever had a door slammed in your face? Or a conversation just shut down? I don't want to hear that. I've been to England twice. I've had doors shut in my face. I've had people, I remember the first time I went to England and I was sharing with a guy, uh, he was asking the question, why are you guys even here? And I remember telling him and I remember his response, which I cannot repeat. He had no clue. He couldn't make any sense of us. Why, why would you fly all that way to tell me about this person called Jesus Christ? So we're not always going to have, when we share the gospel, this pleasant uh, circumstance. A lot of times there may be suffering that takes place as we're sharing, and that's exactly what Peter's talking about. So I think it makes you appreciate verse 15 when you understand the context of what was going on in the lives of these believers. And so there's a couple of responses that I want us to think about. Um, And they're personal. Number one, this response is expected. The response that he highlights here in verse 15. This response is expected in the life of every single believer. That means this. The church does not answer for your faith. You understand what I'm saying? Church doesn't do that. There are churches in which the person who stands behind the lectern, they answer for the whole. But that's not the picture here. The picture here is that every single believer would give an account for the hope that is in them. And so if you're like, oh, I can't do that, you can. Can I encourage you this morning? You can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, tell others, this is the difference that Jesus Christ has made in my life. The second principle, I think, here is that the hope, remember we distinguish there, he distinguishes there between a hope and the hope. It's the hope. The hope of the believer And don't forget this. The hope of the believer is the risen Lord, period. It's the risen Lord. We come once a year and we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrected Christ. But my friends, listen to me. 
the right way for the believer is to celebrate the resurrected Christ every day. That's the hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is alive. And so those two principles, I think, are, are just life-changing. If we'll think in terms of, I need to be ready, and listen, my hope that I have is based on something that's solid, it's grounded, it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know what's happened since COVID's come? There have been questions, hadn't there? Let me give you some, some questions that have been rolling out. These are some questions. What is the meaning of life? You heard that one? What is the meaning of life? Is this all there is? I mean, how many times have you heard that even before COVID? Is this all there is? What is after this life, if anything? I mean, you think about just those questions and the people asking, you're like, man, these people are hopeless. And then you may even get the question of how are you handling this in such a peaceful way? You don't seem to be disturbed or fearful. What a great opportunity, guys, that we have before us to share the gospel. I mean, if there's one thing that's taken place during this time is that the doors are open wide to share the gospel and share. Listen, this is very personal. It should be to every one of us. Share how Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. How does that look? You know, we ought to be ready to defend that. How does that look? I have a video that I want to um, play for you in just a second. Uh, John MacArthur put together a two-minute video. I want to highlight what he says before you see the video, just in case you miss it. Because he talks about the opportunity that's before the church. And in it, you're going to hear the message. He says, we are not in control of death. No matter how much man wants to be in control of it, we're not. But then he also says in the video, the fear of death is real. It's real for people. People are scared. They're literally scared. Well, they should be, right? If they don't have hope in Christ, they should be scared. And then he says in here, and I love this, he says it's time for the church to speak of the gospel and the security we have in Christ. And listen to this last statement. And the eternal life he promises those who do something, who put their trust in him. And so I want you to just see this video. It's a great reminder of the opportunity that's before us. Yeah, there's absolutely no question about that. I was thinking back of the times when I've had to deal with some kind of uh, global or national problem, uh, going back to a massive earthquake that we had here called the Northridge Earthquake, People came into our church panicked because this was really a severe earthquake, and we were able to, to address that. Um, there was a, a, what were called the Watts riots. You may remember those that happened here in L.A., and, and we addressed the, the evil of mankind and, and went to the gospel. Uh, when the Gulf War broke out, I did a series on what the Bible says about war and how, uh, how fragile life is. And then maybe the big one was uh, 9-11, and I, I ended up uh, not only preaching a message on that, but before I knew it, I was on the Larry King show, and the question asked, what is, what is the lesson of all of this? And I said, the lesson is you're not in control of your death. It could happen any time, and you need to be ready. And we were able to give the gospel on CNN, and it kept going and going. So absolutely, I, I think the fear of death is real, and it's legitimate if you have no hope. 
if uh, you're just wishing for the best after you die and you're not in control of your death, that's a terrifying reality. So this is the time for us to speak of the gospel and the security we have in Christ and the, the eternal life that he promises those who put their trust in him. This is a great gospel opportunity. And even though it's, it's not the kind of plague where, you know, millions and millions of people are going to die, it still brings up the issue of the, the fact that you're not in control of your life. And you could be one who dies in, in this situation. And that, that specter hangs over people's head. This is a perfect opportunity for us to, to declare the gospel. You agree with that? Perfect opportunity to declare the gospel. We certainly want people to come to Christ, to put their faith and trust in Him. And I hope you've done that. I hope that's where you're sitting today. Um, I'll end this challenge with this live your life sharing the gospel with a quote by Mark Dever. And uh, he wrote this. I thought it was really good. You know, sometimes when I'm looking for quotes or whatever, um, it'll take me a while. Uh, this came up right away, and it just caught my attention. It's so simple, but look what he says. We plan for so many less things. Why not plan for evangelism? (laughs) Great point. You say, well, how do you plan for evangelism? You know where it starts? On your knees. Lord, show me the opportunities that are before me today to represent you. You know, I'm convinced that that Paul never backed down from an opportunity, aren't you? I mean, have you read the book of Acts? He never backed down. In fact, one of the, the great highlights of his ministry, I think, is in, in, in the book of Acts where he shares um, with Agrippa. And this afternoon, if you have an opportunity to read that, I think it's in chapter 26 of Acts, you can read that account. Wow. It's like he just, you know, it's almost like, if you had a choice for Paul between eating real food and doing that, he would just pick doing that all the time. I'm sharing the gospel. I mean, it just so much uh, took over his life. So we need to keep in mind during this time, uh, live life sharing the gospel. The second one, I think, has certainly a lot of good application for us. We need to live life trusting the Lord. Live life trusting the Lord. How many of you would admit that's a hard one? That's a difficult one. Um, We know the wisdom of Solomon, don't we? Right? It's amazing to think he was the wisest guy on earth and look at his life. But when you consider what he says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. That's great wisdom. You know, it's the object of our trust that we need to consider. So we trust in the Lord. That's the, that's the point that Solomon's making in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. But I didn't choose that one. Um, the Lord led me to Psalm chapter 20. So I want you to take your Bible and go to Psalm chapter 20. And again, I want to share the context with you because the context will help us to understand a little better what David is writing here. Um, Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7. Let me read it and then make some comments. He says, Some boast 
And if you'll notice in your Bibles, it's italicized. That word boast, the first one is. The second one is not. So um, they've put the term boast in the first part of the sentence because it appears in the last part of the sentence for reading purposes. And certainly it doesn't do anything with the the context in any uh, uh, manner that would misrepresent. And so it's inserted. Some boast and even remember or trust would be words you could use. Some boast, some remember, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will boast or trust or remember in the name of the Lord our God. And you're like, okay, David, what are you doing? Well, in Psalm 20, it's a prayer. Okay, the context, it's a prayer. It's a prayer for the king and it's a prayer for Israel. Now, one of the things you know in studying the life of David was that uh, Israel was at war a good bit uh, during David's day. And so when you come to chapter 20, it shouldn't be like, oh, I, you know, David praying for uh, the king and for Israel, that, that was something that, that would take place on a regular basis. It wasn't something new. But in writing this, David uh, contrast those who trust in chariots and horses and those who trust in the name of the Lord. Um, but in order to appreciate the contrast, you have to understand chariots and horses. Chariots were used for two primary reasons in David's day. The first was to transport soldiers. If you wanted to get somewhere in a hurry, if you needed the soldiers to get to the front lines in a hurry, you took a chariot wherever they needed to go. Because as fast as man can run, it wasn't as fast as a chariot. And so a chariot was used to transport soldiers. But did you also know that a chariot was used as a weapon? It was used as a weapon. Um, on the tires, uh, the wheels of the chariot... Um, you had these things, and there's two different pronunciations. Uh, scythe or scythe, you pick. I don't care. But on the sides of the wheels, you see those things protruding from the sides of the wheels? Those are called scythes. And those were used to um, mow down soldiers. They were literally used as weapons. I have another picture here for you. Uh, that kind of shows you that. You see on, the, on those wheels there on the sides, then you have these scythes. And these scythes were used as weapons. So when you read this, you go, okay, some trust in chariots. Well, you can see how they would, right? I mean, they can get soldiers going to a place in a very rapid fashion, and they're used to mow down the enemy. Um, and so certainly a pagan would trust in a chariot. That makes sense. But a pagan would also trust in horses. Some boast or trust in horses, I mean chariots, and some in horses. Um, I've been on a horse. You ever been on a horse? Horses are powerful animals. Um, I realize how powerful... Um, when I was in college, 
I was a camp counselor at Camp Victory one summer. And Malcolm Cooper, if you're watching Malcolm, I told the story first service, I'm doing it again. Malcolm Cooper was in charge of the horses. Um, I was a lifeguard, and that fit our personalities really well. He was from Phoenix, I mean, Alexander City, Alabama, where they talk country, look country, ride horses, and all that. I'm from Lake Charles, Louisiana, and if they had a horse out there somewhere, I didn't find it. But one day, he comes up to me and says, Hey, Thad, uh, I need you to help me get the horses back to the barn. I'm like, okay. So I get done with my responsibilities, and I go jump on a horse, and I'm like, I'm 19 or 20 years old. I'm like, yeah, I'm on a horse. You know, my vision of being on a horse has always been John Wayne. I love watching John Wayne movies. It's sad that I didn't say this first service. There are kids now that walk in my office and don't know who the man is on the horse. Oh, dear, help us. But Malcolm brings me this horse. I get on the horse, and I'm riding back to the barn. And there's this turn that I knew, know now is a very important turn. There was a turn there, and then the barn was ahead of us several hundred yards. When, when I made that turn on that horse, you know what happened? That horse started running. And I was not in control. I guess I could have been, but I didn't know how to ride a horse. And I didn't want to yell and scream like, ah, help. And so I end up, obviously, at the barn. And I played it cool like, yeah, I was on this horse. I was scared to death. Horses, my friends, are powerful animals. Who made them? Kids, who made the horses? Who made the horses, Silas? God made the horses. And do you know that in the Bible, we're reminded of that? How many of you have um, seen the opening to the movie Secretariat? You seen the opening to that? If you haven't, this afternoon, you can do that. I encourage you to do that. It's a pretty awesome scene. But in the, in the movie Secretariat at the beginning, they begin to quote from Job... Uh, chapter 39, where the Lord is talking to Job and reminding him who's in control. Listen to what is said in Job 39. The Lord told Job, Do you give the horse his might? (laughs) No, not you, Job. Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Not you, Job. Do you make him leap like the locust? No, not you, Job. His majestic snorting is terrible. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. And he does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him. The flashing spear and javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground. And he does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! And he scents the battle from afar and the thunder of the captains and the war cry. So when you read from Job 39... And you understand that that God gave power to those horses. An unbelievable power. 
And then you look at the chariots. And, and, and then you put together, okay, David's saying some trust in chariots and some in horses. You can see how they would. Just like in our culture today. Some are trusting in military weapons, right? Some are trusting in medicine. Some are trusting, right, in other people. But notice that David makes this huge contrast. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but... Notice what he says, but we do what? We will boast, we will remember, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Is that true in your life? True in my life? Are we trusting in the name of the Lord our God? And Charles Spurgeon comments on this issue of trusting in the name of the Lord He says, by the name of the Lord, the author is referring to the various attributes of God and likely has in mind the fact that God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. Do you believe that today? He's all-powerful. So when David's pinning these words, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the all-powerful, omnipotent, God. And so the question has to be asked, are we doing the same during this unusual time? Are we trusting in the name of the Lord our God? You know, the scriptures tell us the Lord is a strong tower. A strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. You know, people are looking for safety today, aren't they? They're looking for peace. Guys, I've got great news for us. If we are in Christ, that peace is available. That peace is available. We need to trust in him. I like what Jerry Bridges says about this issue of trust. And speaking about trust, he says, Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God. You see that? by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite, this, and this is so appropriate, despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Hey guys, we're living in that time where people are overwhelmed with what's in front of us and the adversity that we face but you know it's as simple as saying what David said hey look I'm not going to trust in chariots and horses I'm not trusting in other things I'm going to trust in the name the all powerful name of the Lord my God I hope that's where you are in this Um, well if we're doing that well This next one is is a lot better for us. Live life worshiping the Lord. Live life worshiping the Lord. So we said live life sharing the gospel. This morning we've talked about that. Live life trusting the Lord. And that trust is an everyday thing. Every day I'm saying, Lord, I'm trusting you today. Whatever I face. 
but then live life worshiping the Lord. Wouldn't it be sad if um, people had in mind that the only time they could worship was here? Wouldn't that be sad? Um, If someone had in their mind, the only time I can worship the Lord is when I'm sitting in that church building on 60, 20 different parkway. That'd be sad. Did you know that we have the freedom to worship the Lord every day? Every day. We get up with the freedom to worship the Lord. I think there's a challenge in our culture. And here's the challenge. Are we going to worship man? Or are we going to worship the Lord? I really believe that is a huge issue. Um... It's one that deserves our attention. Are we worshiping man? Are we going to worship the Lord? So it's the object of one's worship that is the issue. Um, We don't need help worshiping ourselves. We need help to worship the Lord. The Lord led me to this psalm, Psalm 95. I want to read it and just make some comments. Psalm 95, so if you want to turn there, you can see it, or I have it here on the screen. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what the psalmist says. Oh, come, let us sing. Underscore that word, us. The idea of that is community. Come, let us sing. I mean, that's what we've done this morning. Finally, right? We're able to get together, and we're able to, as a community of believers, assemble to worship. That word worship is the word worship. He's the only one worthy of worship. So, so the author says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in whose hands are the depths of the earth the peaks of the mountains are his also the sea is his for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land come the psalmist says let us worship and bow down there should be in our minds a heart to bowing before the Lord. Now, I don't mean you have to get on your knees. I'm just talking about bowing in our minds and in our hearts to the Lord. And bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. There's a few things here worth considering uh, this morning as we think about live life, uh, living life worshiping the Lord. He says, first of all, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. You know, the term Lord there means... Let us come and sing to the self-existent, eternal God. There are many gods, but not like him. He is the self-existent, eternal God. And that's the point that the psalmist makes. Let us sing for joy to the self-existent, eternal God. We can't even fathom that, can we? We think about things appearing before us, and I mean... He's always been and always will be. No one created him. 
That's an incredible thought, one that's beyond our understanding. So he says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. And then he says, let us shout, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. That word shout is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. It was used to sound a war cry. (laughs) You know what I thought of immediately? There is a war cry that takes place on the plains in Auburn. Have you heard that war cry before? Down in Auburn, they'll say, war. (laughs) And then they eventually say, eagle. But it's amazing. I've been down there. I was down there in 2013. You remember that game, don't you? Right, and the guy took off and the end, from the end zone. And he runs it all the way back, and that pla- it was pandemonium. That place was crazy. I mean, these people were outside of their minds. I was in the upper deck, and this—I thought this dude was going to fall over. That place was going crazy, and, and there's this war cry that goes on in the plains, and there is a war cry that goes on in Tuscaloosa. You know what that one is? Roll. I can't even say the rest of it because it just won't come out of my mouth. But they say it. And people go crazy and it drives me nuts. And I have to endure that suffering. Every two years with my friend, Buddy Seal, he takes me. And in the midst of this, these 100,000 pagans that are screaming out, roll, and it just drives me crazy. But they're sounding a cry to war to battle on a field. By the way, there is another war cry, just in case you wanted to know. And it takes place in Fayetteville. Oh, just give me chills to think about it. Fayetteville, Arkansas, the home of the Razorbacks. And if you want to Google this afternoon, you can go on there and listen to them call the hogs. Oh, This makes me crazy. But the picture here, listen, the picture is the shout or the sound of a war cry. And so, hey, listen, every believer, we ought to be shouting, right? And I'm not talking about out of control. Everything that we do do in worship needs to be done decently and in order, but there's nothing wrong with saying, I love the Lord my God. Nothing wrong with that. I think the church is sitting on their hands here at times, and heaven's going to be like a, whoa, I didn't know this could happen. But have you ever read Exodus 15? One of the greatest chapters when Israel, after Israel crosses the Red Sea, these people are celebrating the Lord. I think what happens typically is there's one extreme and the other. You know, there's this sitting on my hands, never doing anything, and then there's people out of control, and it's like, there's a balance, a biblical balance. You know, I can lift holy hands to the Lord. I just need to make sure, what, my hands are holy, that I'm in right fellowship with the Lord. So, he says here, let us shout, let us shout joyfully to the rock. That word, that rock there, is literally a boulder. We're not, don't think about it like a little pebble. Or, or a little stone, but you think about a boulder. Shout joyfully to the rock, to the boulder, the mighty one of our salvation, the psalmist says. And then it says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. That's one that we could work on a good bit, isn't it? Being thankful people. Easy to be thankful people when things are going well. 
Not so easy when there are surprises in our lives. I told the people in first service, I struggled with that a little bit when I had my surgery. I'm like, this battle was going on, a literal battle. You know, the battle of feeling sorry for self and da-da-da-da versus I need to rejoice and be thankful. I think we can all relate to that. Then he says, not only are we to come before his presence with thanksgiving, but he says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. You know, that, the, the word psalms there is a picture of a song that's being sung accompanied by instruments. A song being sung accompanied by instruments. You know, I didn't mention this first service, but I appreciate all those people that are able to play those instruments. I tried to play a trombone when I was in high, junior high and high school. Um, I was actually pretty decent at it. And the reason I got the trombone part because I have big lips. It felt really well in that, that, that instrument. But these instruments, listen, we're not focusing on the person that's playing the instruments. We're not even focusing on the instruments themselves. When we sing, we're focusing on who? That the challenge is we're focusing on the Lord. I know some that will close their eyes during the singing part just so they can focus. And so the attention is not on man. So he says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And then he tells us why. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So how does worship look? He tells us. There's singing. There's shouting. There's thanksgiving. There's singing with instruments. To who? He tells you. To the self-existent, eternal God. Because he alone is the great God, the supreme God, the sovereign God, and the creator God. It's all right there in front of us. There is certainly in our day the challenge of having the mind to continually worship the Lord. And in these times, that's probably been a challenge for all of us. I like, and I'll close with this quote by A.W. Tozer. I like what he says. He says, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God. Look at this. That any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. I mean, have you ever had anybody ask you the question, what are we going to be doing when we get to heaven? And typically those questions are asked in a selfish manner. I mean, what am I going to be doing? I mean, am I going to be spending eternity worshiping the Lord? Yeah, that's right. That's the right answer. I said in first service this morning, and the Lord just put it on my mind, I think it's going to take us a while to get over the awe of just who the Lord is. I don't know if we'll ever get through that. And all that he's done for us, think about this, that one day you and I who are in Christ are going to be sitting in the presence of the Lord face to face in all his glory. So, I don't know how you're handling this challenge that we're living through right now. But I would encourage you to live life sharing the gospel. Live life trusting the Lord. 
and live life worshiping the Lord no matter your circumstance. Let's pray together. Lord, um, we live in challenging times and uh, there's people with different thoughts and we respect those thoughts, but we might even have different thoughts ourselves. And um, I'm sure that it's true that people's thoughts are all over the map. And the pagans out there living life in fear and worry. And it's understandable if you're just looking at it from their perspective uh, while they would be. But for us, we know the rest of the story. We know that, Lord, you're coming back for your church. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be troubled. We are troubled at times, but we don't have to be. We can rest in you. And so I pray that as we continue to um, live life each day, that these principles that we talked about over the last couple of weeks would would be ones that we review uh, in order that um, we can live to your glory because we know that, Lord, you want us to do that. So we just give you um, our day, and we ask, Lord, that all that we do uh, would glorify the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, we thought it'd be good to close our service today with um, kind of a benediction. A song came out a couple months ago called The Blessing, and it kind of just represents our heart towards you as a congregation. Hopefully, as you hear the words, we trust it'll represent your heart towards each other. It's taken from uh, number six in the Bible. So you guys listen to the words.
God's people said, amen. Um, we're going to close in prayer and then you'll be dismissed. And uh, so let's bow together. Lord, we just thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you that we're able to see each other and we just, uh, we don't take that for granted, Lord. We appreciate the fellowship with you and the fellowship with one another and we pray your spirit would guide us today and that you would be glorified in our lives and through our lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.